the teams you care about. Mac Jones is good. That's not the question. The question is, is he good enough to win repeatedly in this loaded AFC? The stories that matter to you. If I'm Xander Bogarts, I need three things in order to get over that insulting contract offer. This is your home for New England sports. Jason Tatum, superstar, book it. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show right here on a Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Short show tonight. We're up until just 6.10, and then it's another day of Red Sox baseball. Sox looking to take game two of the series from the Blue Jays. Sox need to win today, more so than for the standings at this point. They need to win just to get some positive vibes going. I mean, yesterday was just horrific. An eight-run third inning yesterday for Toronto after the Red Sox had taken a one-nothing lead. It's just inexcusable. It's just inexcusable. It's unacceptable. And the Red Sox need to win today again, not for the standings. Those are done. They need to win just to get some positive vibes going. We've switched it up a bit today. Buster Olney is going to join us here in 15 minutes. Usually Tom Karen's on Wednesday, Buster on Thursday. We will play it in reverse this week. Buster will join us here in about 15 minutes. We will talk to him about the Red Sox obviously quite a bit. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also always stream the show video-wise on Facebook Live and YouTube Live and also on our website at WDEVradio.com. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. So Brian Bayo is going to start tonight for the Red Sox, and I don't want to put pressure on him. But I, as a fan need to see positive signs from him. We are at the point of the season where the only thing really worth watching for the Red Sox are things that are going to affect the future, right? Like, I I don't really care at this point how Kike Hernandez plays. I don't really care at this point how uh, Rich Hill pitches. I just don't. Those things no longer really affect the future. If they're going to bring him back next year, then so be it. I, but fine, like that's not my first concern right now. My first concern at this point are things that are guaranteed to affect my future. And the things that are guaranteed to affect my future are the kids and are the young players. And I want to see who can cut it and who can't. Josh Winkowski very well may be playing himself out of my future plans. Jaron Duran and Bobby Dahlbeck, they have tried their damnedest to play themselves out of my future plans. We have 40-ish games left to see who can help this team when it's relevant again, and Bayo is another one of those guys. He doesn't need to come out fresh off the injured list in a rehab start. He doesn't need to come out off of that and throw seven no-hit innings. That's not realistic, not against this lineup, not in the position that he's in. But can Bayo come out tonight? Can he throw strikes against a deep playoff-bound lineup? 
Can he get ahead in the count? And can he dictate at bats rather than being on the defensive the entire time and having to pipe in 2-0 fastballs? Can he use all of his pitches against veteran hitters? Can he go five innings and keep you in the game, or does he go two and a third? That's what I want to see tonight from Brian Bayo. I meant everything I said yesterday. This upcoming offseason is full of opportunity for the Red Sox. A ton of money to spend, prospects to trade, flexibility. I expect the Red Sox. I don't want. I expect the Red Sox to be much better at this time next year than they are right now. I've got to learn who's going to be a part of that and who gets shipped off to Kansas City or Pittsburgh or Miami in some various deal. Is Brian Bayo going to show me enough over the next, you know, the next month and a half? Is he going to show me enough so I can pencil him into the rotation next year or do I need to spend money on yet another guy? Because if Bayo can be a guy for me, then great. I can utilize even more money on getting another outfielder or two, getting another reliever or two or anything else that I may need. If Brian Bayo can take a rotation spot for me next year, then that's one less Rich Hill or Garrett Richards or Martin Perez that I need to have. One less Ryan Weber from a million, from through the COVID season that I need to have. So yes, these games no longer matter for the standings, but they do matter. They absolutely do. Brian Bayo, I'm not putting pressure on you. You do not have to go out and throw a complete game 100 pitches. You don't. But can you do enough things that I feel positive about you over the last month and a half that you are part of my solution next year and not something else that I have to cover up? Right? If Josh Winkowski can't pitch, the Red Sox need to cover up for that by spending or trading. Can Brian Bayo be a guy who can stick here and not be a guy that I just have to cover up for, and I have to, uh, you know, I, I have to come up with a new solution around. That's what I want to see tonight for Brian Bayo. I want to see him establish himself as a guy for me next year. The other thing that I want to see, we're going to get to Buster here in a couple of minutes. So the other thing that I want to see, I want to see the Red Sox play like they have nothing to lose, because you know what? They have nothing to lose. I want to see the Red Sox play loose and play free and play fun. I want to see them try to steal bases and to take extra bases. And I want to see them ambush fastballs early in the count. Play like you have nothing holding you back. Be ultra-aggressive. Look, I... I saw the Mariners lose two of three to the awful A's over the weekend, right? The A's are the worst team in the American League. But you know what they did against the Mariners? They swung at the first pitch a lot. They played super aggressive. Like, who at this point, really, who cares if the starting pitcher throws a 76-pitch complete game because you were so aggressive? When it's May and every game, you know, you're trying to win. Well, look, you're trying to win no matter what. But when it's May and the standings are still in play, Sure, let's run up the guy's pitch count and let's get to the bullpen and all this and all that. It doesn't matter anymore. Get out and play aggressive. Attack the first pitch. Attack the first pitch. Drive balls. Play from a position of power. Who cares? 
If you have a seven-pitch inning against you, I don't care anymore. An 85-pitch complete game by the opponent, I don't care. But dictate the action. Make them earn it rather than sit back, take strike one, take strike two, and just be on your heels the entire game. Try to steal bases. Try to go first to third. Who cares if you get thrown out? Who cares if you get thrown out at the plate? Don't play stupid, but take chances. Make other teams earn it rather than just being gut-punched 55 times every single night. I hope that they win doing what I'm asking them to do, but just go out and play free and play fun. Force tempo, force action. That's what I want to see. I know it's a veteran team. I know veterans have routines. I know veterans are playing for contracts next year. It might be hard for them to play the way that I'm asking, right? J.D. Martinez doesn't want to go out and swing at the first pitch every time and go 0 for 4. I get that that could be an issue. So maybe all the veterans aren't interested in playing like I want to play, but that's what I want to see. Play loose, play fun, because right now the Red Sox are just kind of playing listless baseball. I read a column today that said the Red Sox are flat-out embarrassing. Last night was embarrassing. Yes, that's very true. Last night was embarrassing. You're close to getting out of the inning in the third, and all of a sudden it's eight runs? Now you're seven games back and three under five hundred. That is embarrassing. A way to turn it into a fun brand of baseball is just get out there and play. Right? Just get out there and play. That's what I want to see. The A's taking two or three from the Mariners shouldn't have happened. Why did it? Because they played with reckless abandon. What do you see at the end of an NFL season, right? You get a team that's, you know, four and ten, and what are they doing? They're taking shots down the field, they're running trick plays, they're emptying the playbook because it just doesn't matter anymore. Get out there and do something different to throw a team on their heels. That's what the Red Sox have the ability to do. That at this point, play spoiler. Do something different because what we saw last night wasn't fun baseball. It was listless baseball. I would like to see it be fun. All right. I'm told Buster Olney is uh, is ready for us. So Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Oh, he's going to be ready in one minute, they say. Okay, then I'll continue on. Yeah, just like the think about the end of an NFL season when a team has nothing to play for. It really does become like we have no idea what this team's going to do. It's very, very unpredictable. Be unpredictable. Be unpredictable. Jaron Duran, ambush a first-pitch fastball when you're playing. Franchi Cordero, ambush a first-pitch fastball when you're playing. Make them make the adjustment rather than you have to adjust the entire time. The Red Sox have been having to adjust for a long time. Make the other team make the adjustment. All right, let's, we'll talk to Buster here about all things Red Sox. All the insight into everything going on in baseball. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN Baseball Insider and Vermont native, Buster Olney. I'm just about ready to bet the family farm in Vermont. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB Insider on the phone line. With us now, Buster was on vacation last week, so we missed a chance to speak with him. I, I definitely have a lot of things to run by Buster, uh, including Buster kind of causing a stir on our show the other uh, last week. So, Buster, welcome back from vacation. How are you? 
I'm doing great. I'm actually, yeah, I'm not on vacation anymore, but I am still at uh, the family place in Lake George. And that sound you may have heard in the background was the, the speedboat going past the house, um, staring out at the water as I talk to you. So not, uh, you know, I, you know how you always talk about needing a vacation after your vacation. That's kind of the way that this week feels. Well, you've de- you you have left the compound a little bit. You made way to Williamsport over the weekend for the Little League Classic. And look, I got a lot of thoughts on the Red Sox that I want to get to, but let's talk about the Little League Classic. Red Sox lost, but for the first time all year. It was the only day all season I haven't really cared about the result. Baseball does a lot wrong and gets a lot of justifiable grief. This appears to be something that is an absolute home run. You were there. What is it like on the ground at the Little League Classic? Yeah, and and I think this is my fifth year of being there to see the major leaguers come in. Uh, And my favorite part every year is uh, renewed, Uh, and that is, see the players land and to see the the byplay between the little leaguers and the players they they the plane lands they step off the plane and then there are groups of little leaguers waiting for them and then they go to little league park and they get to hang out uh the major leaguers do with the little leaguers and the stories and to see the smiles and it's really cool the other day for example i was talking with Raphael devers uh, after they had met with the Little Leaguers. And, and Rafi, whose English is getting a lot better, certainly a lot better than my Spanish, um, he told me a story about how one of the kids uh, asked him, saw his shoes, and, and felt like they were really colorful and said, hey, can I switch shoes with you? And Rafi had to explain to him patiently, um, your feet are a lot smaller than mine, so I really can't do that. Uh, and he also talked about uh, you know, bumping into a player from the, the team from Florida and he asked him, hey, who's your favorite team? And the guy said, Rays. The kid said Rays. And so Rappy was trying to convince him, hey, come on, you got to root for the Red Sox. <laughs> and the kid held his ground. And Rappy had a huge smile when he was relating all that. You know, Alex Cora, uh, you could just see in the midst of what's been such a challenging year for all of them, he just had the biggest smile to the point that after I did my in-game interview, you know, we were in commercial break and I'm running over to the other side. And Carl Ravitch, who's our play-by-play man, you know, says in my ear, boy, Alex seems so happy. He's certainly a lot happier than the week before, two weeks before, when we were in Houston, and they were trading Christian Vasquez, and there was so much uncertainty. It was like all of that for a day went away. You're exactly right, Brady. The players absolutely loved it. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Rafael Devers because you created a bit of a stir on our show a couple of weeks ago, and I'm disappointed you were on vacation because we didn't get a chance to ask you about it. So all year long, you and I had audio cuts to prove it. All year long, you have told us that you have kind of questioned Hyam Bloom's desire to spend and ownership's desire to spend, and you kind of thought that they were going to you know, have both Bogart's endeavors go the way of Mookie Betts. Well, you were on WEI in Boston with Rob Bradford on Sunday Night Baseball a couple of weeks ago, Red Sox-Yankees, and you said, I think the Red Sox are going to make Devers an offer he can't refuse. And I don't doubt that you're right in that. My question is, what has changed? Because all year you had been so steadfast that it wasn't going to get to that point for them, and now it is. Why, do you, why, why has it changed? Because I think the folks in the leadership of the Red Sox are feeling the pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that from having conversations. And, and that doesn't mean anyone saying, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll sign Devers. But uh, I think they understand the level of anger 
within the fan base. And look, and I wrote a column about this after I talked with you uh, about uh, Heim Bloom, and, and, and not, and it really wasn't critical of him in terms of decisions he made. But I wrote about the history of the Red Sox ownership, how they absolutely veer with their plans. You, know, they have had tremendous success. But, you know, they got rid of Grady Little after he made one bad decision in a playoff game against the Yankees. They got rid of Theo Epstein, who's going to the Hall of Fame someday as, you know, arguably the greatest GM of all time. They got rid of Ben Sherrington. They got rid of Dave Dombrowski because they were reacting the moment to conditions on the ground. And the conditions on the ground right now are that the fans are unhappy. I think there's a good chance that Bogart leaves. I think there's some frustration there. Uh, and if that's the case, well, if you're the and, and I had this conversation with one source within the Red Sox organization, you and I both know that the all the conversation around the Red Sox flows through the prism of the Mookie Betts decision. Uh, the fact that they didn't sign him, the fact that they traded him, everything that's followed always goes back to that. And if Bogarts leaves, and all of a sudden you just have Raphael Devers as a potentially as a core star. Well, geez, you better sign him. And I think that they're going to explore that in the wintertime. And, and I mentioned on WEI that not only are you going to have to give Devers the money that, that he's earned based on the market, but there's a little bit of a 10% Mookie Betts tax. Yes. There potentially is going to be a 10% Xander Bogarts tax where you're going to have to pay uh, to change the narrative, to change that prism that we just talked about. And, and hey, maybe I'm wrong, but I think this winter – they're going to be under pressure to do something significant, and that's the deal that makes the most sense to me. Buster Olney of ESPN with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Look, the, the the narrative around the Red Sox is pretty despondent right now. Last couple of days, I've played John Tomasi of NBC Sports Boston audio cuts of him saying the Red Sox are destined for the seller for years to come. They're going to be behind the Orioles for years to come, and, and I'm pushing back on that narrative, and I want to run some theories by you. I feel like I've seen this movie before. Okay, The White Sox had six consecutive losing seasons. They saved up all their piggy bank chips and all their farm system assets and then went out and spent big in one specific offseason and made the playoffs the next two years. The Padres had nine consecutive losing seasons. They saved up. Boom, my Mariners, same thing. Bunch of losing seasons, saved up. Go get Robbie Ray. The Red Sox are going to have somewhere between, I calculated, somewhere between $102 and $130 million free this offseason. I ran through the list of free agents yesterday. There's a bunch of them. I feel like the Red Sox were used to seeing them spend incrementally each year. I feel like they've saved up all their chips for this offseason, and they are going to do something big. I think they have to, uh, and, and that's what I'm referring to. I think there's a recognition within the front office that they need to do something big, and you and I have sort of amused about the, the ultimate panic button for the Red Sox ownership would be to go after Aaron Judge. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, uh, you know, you can understand why there's a dire feeling around the Red Sox before you and I started. I was looking at the American League uh, standings and the playoff odds. For the first time, the Red Sox playoff odds are below those of the Orioles, mm-hmm. who are assessed at having a 4.8% chance of making the playoffs. The Red Sox 4.5%. Uh, their offense is completely stagnant. You know, we now know Xander Bogart, uh, you know, has a shoulder issue, got a cortisone shot. J.D. Martinez did, what, one home run since the middle of June. It's a mess right now, but I'm with you. I think they have the capability, because they're a big market team, of spending. 
and and adding players uh, and, and being in a position to do some things. The one thing I would say is that they better uh, do something significant in this winter in terms of adding a core star. Like when you look at the Red Sox, and I've had this conversation with evaluators of the team, who are the core guys that you can say, that's the guy we build a championship team around? Uh, if Bogart leaves, Devers is kind of the last guy. Yeah. <laughs> like you need core guys if you're going to keep up with the Yankees and the Blue Jays and the even the Rays, you know, the Orioles. And one more thing about the Orioles, I think everyone is assuming that they're going to spend money going forward. I, I want to see it before we assume that that's actually going to be the case. You know, the other thing I have that's a reason for optimism is that next year, the unbalanced schedule gets significantly changed. The Red Sox would right. go from playing 76 games against the AL East, where right now they're 16 and 33. Like that has lost them their season. They're bad play against the division. Next year, they go from 76 games in the division to 56 games in the division. And other teams lose the benefit of their cushy, unbalanced schedule. So I think other teams, like my Mariners, could regress to the mean negatively while the Sox regress positively. And I think that's a huge reason for optimism that nobody around here seems to be talking about. And I also believe, continue to believe, that Alex Cora is one of the best managers in baseball. And if you give him a – I mean, shoot, think about all that's gone wrong for the Red Sox with injuries and the problems in the middle of the order that they have developed in recent weeks. They're three games under 500. It's not like they turn into the Orioles of the last four seasons where they're 50 games under 500. On the Xander Bogart shoulder injury, we did hear, you know, and I remember he got in the collision, I think, with Verdugo back in May against, yes. the, against the Mariners, ironically. So, you know, we know where the injury stems from. The fact that we're hearing about it now and its impact on his play, is that a, hey, hey, we're out of it, so now we're coming clean with everything? Or is that Bogart's agent saying, hey, as we move towards the offseason and you're wondering how to value him, understand he's been playing hurt? I think all of the above. I, I think the players reflexively will, uh, you know, keep information, injury information to themselves. Uh, partly, you know, if you're Bogarts, you don't necessarily, early in the year, you didn't want it out there. You didn't want teams worrying about, you know, your physical state. On the other hand, now we're close enough to the end of the year, and he probably is not feeling great anyway, where you're going to have to be accountable for the numbers that you have. And we've seen a dip in power from him. So maybe he's going to be more open about that. And I got to say, just being around them the last two weekends, you know, first on the 14th against the Yankees and then on the in Williamsport, there's I felt uh, for a lot of the players a sense of resignation mm. uh, that, you know what, uh, it's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, because they've been playing some of these division rivals and they're not playing better. You know, they have from time to time seen a better you know, better performance in a given game. Michael Waka, wow, the way he's throwing the ball right now is amazing. But I don't think they're going to necessarily turn it around uh, unless they get more consistency out of the back end of their rotation and unless their offense turns around, and we don't see a lot of signs of that. You know, it's kind of amazing that when, when the report came out that High and Bloom and the Red Sox offered Bogarts a one-year, $30 million extension. We all laughed at it, and we said, well, you know, what a laughable offer that is. It turns out how he's played, that's a lot closer to reality than we wanted to admit at the time. I came up with what I think is a good Xander Bogarts offer for the offseason. I want to run it by you. I know you say you think he's going to leave, but I've got an idea. I want to give him kind of the J.D. Martinez-style contract. Five years, $120 million, but opt-outs after years two, three, and four. 
He gets five years. He gets long-term protection if he wants it. $120 million is more annually than Trevor Story got, so there's the, the uh, respect factor there from the Red Sox. And if he wants to leave after years two, three, or four to strike it big, if he, if he rebounds, then he's got that ability to do so. Do you think my offer is fair? I think it's on the low end when you consider the last winner. You saw uh, Javier Baez, who's not nearly the consistent offensive player that Xander is, get $140 million. I think he does better than that. Um, I don't think you're that far off. I think it's closer to 150. And, and look, this is all speculation with you and I at this point. The team that I'm beginning to settle on is, I think, the team that could be the biggest threat for Bogart, the Dodgers. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Justin Turner's getting older. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's probably you know, close to the end of his career. He's had some injury issues the last couple of years. And we know how the Dodgers like flexibility with players. I could see Bogart being a guy really attractive to them where they say, look, we want to bring you in here. You're not going to be an everyday shortstop anymore. We're going to put you in our infield. We're going to move you around. How much fun would he have in the middle of a lineup with Freddie Freeman and with Mookie Betts? Uh, and if they re-sign Trey Turner, I think he would have a blast. Uh, and I think he would enjoy the culture there. That, but that's just a guess, and I want to make that 100% clear. This is total speculation, but the team that he just seems to fit best for me would be the Dodgers. If Bogarts left and the Red Sox replaced him with Dansby Swanson, is all forgiven from the fan base, or is it going to hurt losing Bogarts no matter who you bring in? No, because let's face it, whoever uh, comes in to replace Bogarts is going to be on double-secret probation, or maybe not so secret, if Dansby were to be the guy that, uh, and I know Dansby, you know, through the years, went to St. College. Uh, if Dansby, uh, and he's a great guy, he's a great defender, he would upgrade the defense. There's no doubt about it. If he came in on first day and went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, you and I both know he would get booed. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way it goes. Uh, and that's the way it is in Boston. That's the way it is in New York. That's the way it is in Philadelphia. Buster only. ESPN MLB insider, Sox three under, seven back entering play today in the wild card. I declared them done after they got beat three out of four by Kansas City, and others are joining me on the on that parade now. But I do think there's reasons for optimism in the offseason. Buster, appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your vacation from your vacation, and we will talk again next Thursday at our usual scheduled time. All right, Brady, thank you. There goes Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Certainly uh, just just the best. We love talking to Buster. We will do it again next Thursday at our regular scheduled time. There's so much stuff to get to with Buster. We're going to spend time breaking it down when we have longer shows and we have more time. We can ask TC about a lot of this stuff tomorrow too. But quickly, before we hit the top of the hour, I definitely took a few things away from what Buster said. One, he says this team's attitude is is resigned. He said a feeling of resignation. Now, I think that's a product of having veterans, because kind of like I said before, when the season feels over, veterans get resigned. Veterans start thinking about their contract impact, etc. They start looking out for themselves. Young players get bothered by the season feeling over, but they still play hard because a lot of them are fighting for jobs. They're fighting for a standing in the organization. There's a little more team-oriented motivation. Veterans, I don't think, have that as much. So I said earlier, I want the Red Sox to play loose. It might be hard to get a veteran group to play loose and free, but I really do want that to be the case. And I want to see Alex Cora be able to get guys to play hard, to have fun, to play with that energy. Two, 
Definitely not a coincidence we're hearing about Xander Bogarts' injury now. We heard about, he said he's been playing through a bum shoulder since May, cortisone shot, which Buster mentioned. It really does feel like an admission by Bogarts that the season is over, right? If, if this were a playoff race, he'd be hiding this so as to not be compromised or so that teams don't think he's compromised in how they pitch him, etc. Right now, the season feels over, so there's no point in hiding it, right? The, 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 him telling us this is an admission of the season being over. There's there's no doubt about that, right? If he was worried about how this injury and him playing would affect things on the field, then he'd keep it hidden. But uh, he's not doing that. That's an admission the season's over. It's also a proactive move by his camp to protect his offseason earnings potential. It's, it's not, hey, I struggle because I'm bad. It's, hey, I struggle because I'm hurt. And, oh, by the way, look how tough I am and look how team-oriented I am. And three... Buster really does think the pressure will get to the Red Sox front office when it comes to Rafael Devers. That is what's changed for him. That is why, and he, by the way, he thinks the Red Sox can get out of this just like I do. So he thinks they can spend their way out of some of the problems, and he also agrees that the softer schedule next year helps. It just came out today. It's 52 games against your division, down from 76. So 24 less games against the against the Rays, Blue Jays. Orioles and Yankees, six less per team. That's good for your chances, and I'm glad Buster agrees, but he thinks that uh, Devers will get a deal done with Boston because the Red Sox are now feeling the front office pressure in a way they haven't before. Great stuff with Buster. We can ask TC about more of the Red Sox issues tomorrow. We will step aside. We'll get a national news update from CBS News, and then I don't usually go after the media. I don't tend to blame the media for things, but when it comes to one opinion on the Patriots, I'm doing just that. I'll tell you who I'm coming after and why. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and F. This is WDEV, Vermont's news station, owned and operated by the Radio Vermont Group. From the top of Sugarbush, 96.1 FM, WDEV Warren and Waitsfield, 96.5 W243 Barry, 98.3 W252 CU Montpelier, along with our founding station, AM550 WDEV Waterbury Montpelier. Streaming at WDEVradio.com. 91 years of serving Vermont. The friendly pioneer, WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball coming up just minutes from now. We'll give you the lineups here momentarily. Mark in Essex says he loves the show, but he's tired of hearing about the Red Sox and wants to hear football. So here you go, Mark. This one is for you. You know, I my my parents are both journalists. My fiance used to be a journalist. I never really blame the media for anything, okay? Almost never. So this is what I'm about to do is a rarity for me. I just don't get what Greg Bedard of the Boston Sports Journal is trying to accomplish here. Remember the other day when we told you the Patriots were reportedly fielding calls about Kendrick Bourne? I told you I wouldn't trade Kendrick Bourne, but Bedard was talking about this the other night on NBC Sports Boston. I don't think I can I mean, afford to trade well, him. Now with the Thornton injury, we'll see. But look, if he's not a happy camper in the offense, which uh, depending on who you talk to, 
Uh, it, it, people indicate that. that there you he, go, he, Craig. He has exactly been <laughs> thrilled with the offense for a while. and He says he hasn't been thrilled with the offense for a while. And I just don't really get the purpose of saying that because all the evidence that we have, none of it points to that. Kendrick Bourne has always appeared to be the ultimate team player. He's always appeared to be happy-go-lucky. He's never once appeared to be a malcontent, and that's how Bedard is painting him out to be, and I'm just not buying it, frankly. Now, Kendrick Bourne was benched for the last preseason game. I believe it was because of a disciplinary reason, because he was uh, ejected from practice last week. Could be because he just hasn't been playing well, or it could be he wasn't playing hard enough, but that doesn't mean he's a malcontent about the offense, which, again, is how Bedard paints him. Like, I've got... Tons of audio proving who I think Kendrick Bourne is here. Eight days ago, Kendrick Bourne was asked about the new offense. Yeah, I think everybody's uh, fitting in their roles. You know how they're using us. Um, it's just, it's just dope. They, uh, they understand us well. So, um, for me, just playing my role and just like every other receiver, just making the plays that we get called on. So um, it's just kind of like last year too. You know, once your number's called, make the play. And uh, you know, we all got our strong traits. We all got our weak traits. So. Just working on your weeks and, and growing on your strongs. And that's that's the best thing about this offense. Like, that was eight days ago. Earlier in the offseason, so, you know, less than a month ago, I've got him talking about loving Foxborough in year two. It's a lot, a lot more comfortable um, just knowing the playbook. Uh, you know, we got some new guys, but uh, for our second, these second-year guys, we're definitely more comfortable uh, knowing how Mac throws, knowing how, you know, he operates, he thinks. Uh, like, everything Kendrick Bourne has said has been positive. I don't buy that all of a sudden he is just dejected and a malcontent, and I don't get Greg Bedard trying to paint him as one. Kendrick Bourne's been positive about Bill Belichick. I've got that, those cuts. He's been positive about Mac Jones. I've got those cuts. You just heard him talking about the new offense. Like I don't think that all of that positivity is undone in one week. I just don't. If he was more upset, we would hear about it, and we haven't heard anything about it at all from anyone other than Greg Bedard. I don't usually get upset at the media, but I'm upset there. That seems like him trying to create something out of nothing, and I don't particularly appreciate it or get it. This one's going to be the weirdest Red Sox lineup in the entire year, I think. Here you go. Rob Refsnyder leads off. He's in right. Alex Verdugo's in left. J.D. Martinez is the D.H. Rafael Devers is at third. Kike Hernandez is at second. Franchi Cordero's at first. Bobby Dahlbeck is at shortstop. Reese McGuire is the catcher. Jaron Duran's in center. Bogart's banged up. Pham banged up. Arroyo banged up. None of them in the starting lineup, and that's where we get Bobby Dahlbeck at shortstop. The pitcher, by the way, for the Sox is Brian Bayo. He's opposed by Jose Barrios. Lineup for the Jays, George Springer, the DH, Vlad Jr. at first, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left, Alejandro Kirk the catcher, Teoscar Hernandez in right, Bo Bichette is the shortstop, Matt Chapman is at third, Whit Merrifield, the former Royal, is at second, and Jackie Bradley Jr. back in the saddle in center and batting ninth. Go download the podcast on the Apple Podcast app as well as Spotify. We'll see you tomorrow on DEV.